Support for AHLA comes from Realty Trust Group, a real estate advisory and services firm offering a full spectrum of real estate services, including advisory, development, transactions, operations, and compliance. Since 1998, RTG has helped health systems, physician groups, and property owners navigate the rapidly changing industry with growth strategies that gain market leadership and enhance patient and physician experiences for better delivery of care. For more information, visit realtytrustgroup.com. Welcome to today's podcast on insights from health systems real estate compliance officers. My name is Goran Mashinovich. I'm a vice president and attorney at Realty Trust Group, and I serve as the leader of RTG's real estate compliance service line. Today, I have the privilege of serving as the moderator for our esteemed panel. Before I introduce them and start the conversation, I want to take a second to talk about healthcare real estate and the goal of this podcast series. Real estate is an essential element of healthcare. It is the place where healthcare services are delivered to patients, but beyond, service, but beyond serving is a place to put patients and doctors. When used effectively, real estate allows providers to improve access to care, improve the patient and physician experiences, enter new markets, provide new services, gain market share, reduce costs, and generate significant revenues. It is always worth remembering that real estate often accounts for up to 30% of health systems assets on a balance sheet and hospitals own approximately 75% of the nation's medical office buildings. In contrast to other types of real estate, however, healthcare real estate is heavily regulated. The Stark Law, the Anti-Kickback Statute, the False Claims Act, and a myriad of other healthcare statutes and regulations create a complex regulatory environment in which healthcare providers must operate daily. A course of action that may be perfectly acceptable in any other type of real estate transaction could, in the context of healthcare real estate, result in serious regulatory violations and expose healthcare providers to significant liability, which can wipe out years of profitable business ventures. Given its large percentage of health systems total assets and its business and legal implications, real estate touches multiple departments and health systems, including real estate and property management departments, the legal and compliance departments, accounting and audit departments, and the C-suite, just to name a few. Whenever RTG is engaged by health systems to help them improve their real estate functions, a common problem that we find is that many of the aforementioned departments work in silos. Simply put, they fail to communicate with each other, and because they do not know what their respective responsibilities, goals, objectives, and challenges are, they do not operate as a strong, cohesive team, which in turn has negative consequences on the real estate function. The goal of this podcast series is to help provide insights to our listeners about the respective responsibilities, goals, objectives, and challenges of the departments involved in real estate, with hope that this will help facilitate the communication between the various departments touching real estate in their organizations. In the first part of this three-part podcast series, we gain valuable insights from Health Systems In-House Real Estate Council. In the second part of this three-part podcast series, we gain valuable insights from Health Systems Real Estate Directors. And in this third and final part of the three-part podcast series, we will gain valuable insights from Health Systems Real Estate Compliance Officers. Without further ado, let's begin by introducing you to today's panel. We're joined today by two superstar compliance officers who work for two premier health systems. Don Geisert, who serves as the Chief Integrity and Compliance Officer at Trinity Health in Detroit, Michigan, and Raul Ordonez III, who serves as the Vice President and Chief Compliance Officer at Jackson Health System in Miami, Florida. I've had the privilege of working with Don for several years now and think the world of her. And the same goes with Raul, who's also a fellow University of Tennessee College of Law alum, so go Vols. <laughs> Welcome, and thank you for taking the time to share your expertise with us. So to begin, let's um, have you all tell us a little bit more about yourselves, your organizations, and your uh, roles in your respective organizations. Don, let's start with you. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Goran. I'm glad to be here uh, with you and have enjoyed working with you and RTG as well. 
so yes, I am the Chief Integrity and Compliance Officer at Trinity Health. We are one of the largest Catholic healthcare systems in the nation. Uh, we've got uh, operations in 25 states, um, serving 1.4 million um, patients and family members, um, 88 hospitals, and hundreds of continuing care and clinic locations. Um, so certainly that adds to our challenge when we start to talk about real estate and real estate compliance. Um, I have been in compliance uh, for just over 25 years now. Um, I started my career on the health plan side with a, a Blue Cross and Blue Shield plan here in Michigan. Um, and I've worked at a couple of different health systems, most recently joining a Trinity, Trinity Health about a year ago. So again, thanks for having me. Thank you. Raul? Hi, Gorin. Thank you again for having me as well. Uh, my name is Raul Ordonez, and I serve as the Chief Compliance Officer here in Miami, Florida, at the Jackson for the Jackson Health System. Uh, so the Jackson Health System is the the public hospital system here in uh, Miami Dade County. Uh, we operate a number of hospitals uh, here in the county, uh, including our, our flagship hospital, Jackson Memorial, which uh, is an academic medical center uh, in, you know, with various academic partnerships, including with the University of Miami and Florida International University and others. Um, so it's, it's a very large hospital system uh, down here. And as the chief compliance officer, I'm responsible for oversight of the compliance program. Uh, and and a, you know, a considerable part of that is uh, real estate compliance, uh, given some of the regulations that you referred to uh, as, as part of your introduction. That's great. So let's kind of start there, uh, Raul. How, do, how does your uh, organization staff the real estate function? So we, we have a, a, an internal real estate office that um, is, is basically focused on, on managing all, any sort of real estate uh, deals that, that occur here. Uh, you know, we have a number of, of, uh, of, of, of leases, let's say at uh, med medical office buildings, uh, et cetera. Um, so in a, in, with, when, to the extent that there are referral sources uh, involved, uh, we, we work very closely with them. Um, but they're managing uh, real estate, not just real estate with referral sources, but real estate uh, overall. Um, and so that, that can include you know, a lot of a lot of property, a lot, a lot of different facilities that they're responsible for. But it is in-house here. OK, uh, Don, what about you at your at your health system? Is it uh, internalized, outsourced or a hybrid of both? Yeah, same at Trinity. It's an in-house function. Um, Again, I think for us, the, the challenge in being such a large system and operating in so many states is that we have a centralized team that works in our system office, um, right? really kind of responsible for setting policy, procedure, templates, forms, um, but we really have a regionalized team. So folks who are in the local markets um, that really manage and understand the, the real estate market and what's happening uh, with the hospital or health system in the market and sort of what the strategic plans are. Um, and for us, it's about how do we make sure that those regional, local, real estate, um, and we call them colleagues, uh, mm -hmm. right, are not operating in silos and that we all have a joint approach to how we are um, entering into leases, managing leases, exiting leases, uh, you know, collecting rents and reconciling um, all of those things. Uh, so having the function in-house is, is helpful, but again, it's it's a big sort of geographically dispersed team and, you know, us all transitioning to virtual, I think has been helpful there, but that does present a challenge for us. Sure. And do you, I mean, with, with those regional teams, I mean, what, what kind of, how do you all sort of, um, you know, do you have regularly scheduled meetings? Like how, how do you all kind of keep in touch just given the, you know, uh, uh, the geography that 
the geographic challenges that are presented by that. Yeah, and I'm going to, you know, be transparent and admit that that's an opportunity for us. Um, again, I connect with our real estate business leader here in the system office, and we meet on a regular basis. We actually meet with our, our key uh, real estate legal counsel as well mm -hmm. um, every month to sort of just touch base and see what everyone's got on their plate and, and what's come through. For our folks who are out at the local ministries, um, again, in their respective markets, that's also how our overall uh, integrity and compliance program is set up. So we have integrity and compliance officers that are in those local markets as well, and they really manage the relationship with the local real estate person there. Okay. Um, again, admit that even our integrity and compliance program has some opportunity to break down some more silos and, and get to more standard processes. And that's something um, that we're working on. Uh, but again, no real set cadence yet, uh, but that's somewhere where we'd like to get um, with all of the real estate leaders across all of our regions. Sure. And Raul, what about, you know, I think you, you kind of mentioned, obviously, you're the, the, the chief compliance officer, and you said uh, real estate compliance is, is an important element of, of your job. How, how do you kind of fit into, you know, the, the, the real estate team, and how do you sort of uh, keep those communications, uh, lines of communication open between compliance and real estate? Sure. So I think it's, it's important to establish some type of process uh, for oversight of any sort of prospective real estate arrangements that, that are uh, going to be occurring. And so if you, if you have a policy, if you have a process uh, whereby when there is any type of lease arrangement uh, under discussion with a referral source, that compliance be brought in sort of on the front end to understand uh, you know, the, the essence of the transaction and um, really ensure that the policy is, is uh, followed. Now, what we, we have uh, typically, or what I think is best practice is to have an uh, external fair market value analysis done uh, by experts uh, that are uh, particularly in uh, real, uh, healthcare real estate, uh, that's critical. Uh, and, and so I think best practice is to have the compliance officer involved in those conversations with the fair market value company uh, in, in many ways as a bit of a liaison to, to understand uh, the essence of the deal and make sure that whatever, as, uh, whatever is being proposed uh, sort of doesn't fall outside of any sort of regulatory uh, thresholds or, or boundaries that, that we, we might be able to identify up front. Um, so that, that's really, um, you know, a lot of the work is, is re related to that. And then seeing that arrangement, seeing that fair market value analysis done through uh, the, 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 the actual execution of the lease, and then ensuring that uh, whatever lease is, is put into place is in fact consistent with um, the deal that you have been sort of discussing now for what so sometimes it could be many months. Sure. So do you all have, you mentioned policies and procedures, which are so important. Do you all have specific policies and procedures created to, you know, real estate arrangements um, uh, in particular at Jackson? Yeah, yes, you know, we, I, I believe we would probably put it under uh, our general referral source arrangement policy mm -hmm. uh, that will list the different types of referral source arrangements that exist and then a particular process for uh, whenever it's a real estate transaction. Uh, in other words, who would be involved and, and how that real estate transaction would, would be operationalized. 
Sure. And, and, it's, and I think you also said, so that does compliance at Jackson try to get involved sort of at the front end of some of these transactions involving referral sources and kind of work hand in hand with the real estate team to make sure everything is you know, done in accordance with your uh, established policies and procedures? Absolutely. So I think that's, that, that's what we aim for. And fortunately, we, we were blessed to, to partner with our real estate uh, office so that uh, to the extent that they're requesting anything or considering a particular type of deal and they want to, to get the fair market value companies um, sort of thoughts on it, compliance really has a seat at the table um, to, to ensure that this is something that everybody would be comfortable with, or if there needs to be some changes to, to how, how that occurs, that that happened on, uh, happens on the front end. Yeah, that's great. And is, and is also the legal department also involved, like at, at the front end as well, or kind of help us understand, you know, with you know, the, the compliance department and the legal department, how that all comes together with, uh, with the real estate department at Jackson. Sure. So, so they, uh, the legal department is also uh, very involved. I mean, typically, I think they do a lot of the the actual legal, the drafting of the of the contracts, um, et cetera, any sort of form uh, leases that exists. Uh, the legal department would have typically drafted that or developed it. Um, uh, as far as the actual uh, arrangement itself and the obtaining of the fair market value, I, this is done, I think, a million different ways. And I don't know that there's a right way or a wrong way. Um, we, in, in our organization, compliance is, is typically leading that effort on the front end. And then when, it, when the lease is being uh, sort of reviewed, there's a collaboration with legal, uh, real estate and compliance uh, as part of that, that and on the back end part of it. Sure. So, Don, uh, do you all have any specific, you know, uh, procedures and policies for real estate arrangements with referral sources at Trinity? Yeah, we do, and our model relies very heavily on those. So, I, you know, I think in contrast to what our rules talking about um, at Trinity, we really leverage our real estate professionals, and you know, with the policies that we have, there's training and education that goes uh, along with it. Um, our legal team has drafted right the lease template, and so long as there's no modifications to the template, it's expected that right our real estate uh, colleagues will be following the steps in our policy and procedure and can can move forward executing uh, on leases and obtaining fair market value as maybe necessary. And then we would come along uh, on the back end, right, and do some do some auditing to check to make sure that the policies and procedures are being followed. Um, with just so much activity going on, there's not the bandwidth to be involved um, in every transaction. So we do have to, again, rely on our, our policy and procedures and how they're documented and as well as the education that we periodically give uh, to our colleagues out in the field. Okay. Yeah, so I guess if I understand correctly, just given the size and kind of the, the, the geographic reach of, uh, uh, of your health system, Dawn, you know, I guess when when a transaction is first coming up, would compliance wouldn't be involved necessarily at the front end like they would be at Jackson. They would be sort of coming in afterwards and you know conducting audits and things of that nature to make sure that these policies and procedures are being followed. Correct. Yeah. So long as the the transaction is fairly routine and and most of them are, um, of course, there will be ones that come up that are unique or unusual or uh, bigger than normal. Um, right. And so in those cases are, again, our local uh, integrity and compliance office team is, is called in to provide support. And then, you know, if it's another level higher, right, then our system office team is called in to, to support as well. Okay. 
So you have you have compliance uh, uh, officers, compliance folks at the regional level, as well as at the at the corporate uh, headquarters. That's correct. Yep. Yeah, and again, our, our regional local compliance officers, uh, again, more in tune to the market, more in tune to the strategy for sure. where, uh, you know, a health system, for example, in California or Idaho is going as opposed to what's happening on the East Coast. Uh, so we think that that provides that important connection um, and their, their ability to provide that local support. Okay. And Rula Jackson, just kind of the, the, the staffing for the compliance team, is that, I mean, can you kind of give us a little bit of more information about that, just in terms of the, the resources that you have to compliance. Sure. So it, in some ways, it's probably similar, although not uh, the scope is, is, is less, obviously, than at a, at a larger health system like Trinity. But we have multiple facilities and multiple hospitals. So we, we focus on having a compliance officer dedicated to each one of those facilities and ideally sitting at that facility and, and working from there. Um, and that, for the most part, we have other sort of support functions dedicated to other areas like policies and an office, a privacy office dedicated to a HIPAA and privacy compliance, as well as individuals focused on uh, training and education, uh, et cetera. But, um, but, but the, the majority or, or considerable makeup of our department is uh, based on the, the privacy officers that are dedicated to uh, individual facilities or areas of, of the system. Sure. What, what's kind of your goal, you know, kind of sitting in, in your old goals, like in sitting in, in, in the, in the you know, chief compliance officer role? What, what's, what's the goal for, for real estate from a compliance perspective? Like, what, you know, Dawn, start with you. Oh, yeah, I'll jump in first. For, for me, one of our primary goals right now is to get everyone using the same technology tools. Um, you know, having worked for an organization that was under a corporate integrity agreement and now coming to Trinity, with uh, which is not under a corporate integrity agreement, thankfully, um, but just with the sheer volume of the, the leasing activity, having software tools to support not only the the lease process and the storage of the documentation to support the lease process, but also write the accounts receivable and making sure that right those rent payments are reconciled and no one's falling into arrears. I, I think it's really critical to support compliance. And again, here at, at Trinity, as we work to really standardize um, processes and functions and include standardizing technology, um, right? So our personal goal from a compliance perspective right now is getting everyone to use the same software tools um, so that our processes can, can be in that more standard format, which allows us from an auditing perspective to be able to have a easier job when it comes to doing that. Sure. Raul, what, what, are, what are your goals and objectives as it relates to, you know, real estate and real, I guess, real estate compliance in particular? Sure. I, I think a lot of a lot of our goals are similar to what Don mentioned. I think I, I, what I would add to that, and, and it's probably the goal of, of every uh, compliance department also, is to really uh, ensure, have we wrapped our arms around all of the sort of real estate activity that is happening in the organization? Is it a centralized process? And is it, if you have the centralized process, is it all operating through that centralized process? Um, because you don't want to have, just like any sort of contracting, you don't want to have any sort of contracting happening in silos, because that's when, if you're not aware of it, then, then you know, who knows what's going on. So, I mean, our effort is to really uh, try and ensure that uh, whatever real, real estate activity 
uh, is happening, that, that uh, compliance is involved, that we're aware of these leases, that the system uh, is, is aware of, of this activity, and that we've had opportunity to then review it and then ensure compliance on, on the back end as well. Sure. So what will be the biggest challenge, I guess, in, in terms of what you're trying to accomplish? Is, is it is it, you know, is it standardizing and centralizing and keeping your hands, you know, around the whole all the activities that are taking place? Is that the biggest challenge? Or if you have to kind of identify something that, you know, is, is a challenge that you'll try to overcome, what would that be as it relates to real estate and real estate compliance? You know, one, I think, uh, interesting challenge or that might be sort of unique to real estate. Um, I, it's certainly not, not com- totally unique, but what makes real estate uh, different or interesting sometimes is the sort of evolution of a deal. And uh, if you're involved early, which I, I think is, a, is, is ideal, um, but you, you can witness how deals evolve. And then when you bring in, if, if you have a practice of having uh, an external fair market value perform, for example, uh, making sure that that uh, fair market value analysis that has been performed is consistent with what the deal actually is after many months of negotiation, uh, you, you can see how some of these deals can be very complicated and sometimes uh, things just stop for a couple of months and then you have to sort of uh, negotiations pick up again. And, and so there's a lot of moving parts in any real estate transaction that I have, that I have witnessed and um, just making sure that those uh, moving parts are, are sort of understood um, and, and are, are in fact uh, consistent with, with what, what everybody has been, has been working towards. I, I think that's sort of what, an interesting and, and unique real estate uh, challenge. Yeah, I'll definitely echo that for some of the things that we've seen is, you know, you'll, you'll have a fair market value report, but, you know, the fair market value report doesn't really speak to the, you know, the transaction that it was, you know, procured for as, as support, you know, just you're kind of looking at apples and oranges. Uh, so, so I'll definitely echo that. I've, I've seen quite a bit of that. Uh, Don, what about you? What, what, what's the biggest challenge, uh, you know, in, in your uh, practices relates to real estate function, real estate compliance? Yeah, when I think about it for us today, um, I think our biggest challenge is related to right the the turnover, um, right? People are constantly leaving and moving, um, whether it's on the compliance uh, team side or whether it's on our radar real estate operations uh, team side or it's hospital leadership. And so it is that sort of consistent need to make sure that we're engaging and connecting because as I said, we're reliant so much on education and people understanding and knowing what a referral source is. And um, right, as we sort of expand our view of, you know, who would be a great leader uh, in our healthcare system, right? We are looking to people who maybe are coming from other industries and they may not recognize, uh, right, the stark and anti-kickback implications that come along with real estate leasing and property management. And so, you know, for me, it's how can we be more effective and efficient with the training and the education that we give and how can we make sure, particularly as we continue to operate, um, you know, with our administrative functions in a very virtual environment that we are maintaining strong connection um, with our, our hospital system leadership and understand their goals and objectives related to real estate. And again, that they have the knowledge uh, that they need in order to be able to carry those out compliantly. 
Sure. And I, and I think that, that right there, Dawn, I kind of underscores the importance of, you know, having standardized policies and procedures. Uh, you know, what, what I often see is, you know, a lot of health systems don't have standardized policies and procedures. And then when people leave, you know, uh, kind of the way they were doing things leaves with them. And then you will have somebody else come in and fill that role. And, you know, they're going to have a certain way of doing things themselves and then they're going to leave. And uh, so what happens over time is, you know, if you're kind of looking at, you know, uh, uh, you know, different arrangements that were entered into the course of five years, for example, there's a lot of variability between the arrangements because in, in, in large part because there wasn't a standardized process, there wasn't a standardized procedure that was being followed. It, it varied with, you know, with whoever was doing, the, you know, negotiating those um, arrangements before. And then it just kind of creates this level of inconsistency where, it just doesn't look the same. And, um, and, and, you know, not to mention just some of the other things too, when you don't have those standardized policies and procedures, like uh, you don't have a standardized place to save the documents often, you know, there, there's just not a lot of uh, documentary support uh, for many of those arrangements. They may be saved on people's, you know, uh, uh, personal computers, personal drives. And, you know, when they're gone, you know, the documents leave with them as well. So uh, we, we see that a lot as well. One thing that I want to talk about, too, is, you know, what we, what we call operational compliance, right? So, I mean, like the way we look at compliance, there's transactional compliance, there's operational compliance, transactional compliance being, have you set up the real estate arrangements, you know, in compliance with, you know, the requisite Stark Law exception, AKS Safe Harbor, et cetera. And a lot of health systems focus on that. You know, they'll, they'll bring in the legal team, they'll bring in the compliance department, they'll have, you know, third-party you know, evaluation experts. Um, but often what we see, well, we, we see more issues when we're working with, you know, with, with different health systems is, is, is through the, you know, the main, maintaining the arrangements, you know, in, in, in accordance with, you know, what, what they provide, kind of the operational compliance. Um, do, you, do you all see that? And kind of what, what recommendations do you all have, you know, in terms of helping people make sure those real estate arrangements maintain compliant. And I think that's sort of where, you know, real estate is, is different than a lot of other uh, arrangements because often you know, it's like a three-year term, five-year term. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a long-term arrangement that, that requires constant, you know, mon monitoring and administration. So um, Raul, if you want to start and kind of give us some insight on, on that. Absolutely. And, and I think that that is one of the major challenges in, in inherent in real estate. Uh, as, as I think you mentioned, the needs on the ground might change. And um, as a result of that, uh, the, the terms of the agreement might change, um, but, but that's why it's so important that that not be operationalized without some sort of discussion with, with those that have the authority to make these changes uh, for the organization. Um, so so that's, that's why I think monitoring is obviously so important. And having a, having a, a real estate function in an organization is so key because in, in, in many ways, uh, they're probably uh, the perfect um, uh, personnel to, to, to have a monitoring program because they're the ones that are, have the responsibility for compliance with you know, collecting uh, rents and, and ma making sure that the space is being managing, uh, managed appropriately. So I, I think uh, having a monitoring program that the real estate uh, function can be involved with uh, is, is a great place to start. And then in addition to that, um, I, I think a best practice would be then having an independent auditing function, uh, whether that be internal audit or compliance 
to, in addition to the monitoring that's going on by the real estate department, just be able to be absolutely sure that um, the arrangement that is currently occurring is consistent with the lease that might have been signed, as, as you mentioned, three, five, sometimes 10, uh, 20 years, and you know, depending on how large the facility is. I've seen in my career some, some leases that, that are actually uh, you know, de decades old. So um, you know, this, is, this is a major risk and, and, and certainly something that I think every program needs to take consideration. Sure. And what, what kind of goes into monitoring? Like, like what, what are some of the specific activities that, you know, that, that, that you'll try to incorporate into the monitoring function? So you, you want to make sure that the, the leases are actually uh, being paid, as and I think Don alluded to that earlier, is are the payments consistent with the rent? Um, is the actual space being utilized consistently? Has there, has there been any creep in the actual square footage? Because if they're now using additional uh, rooms or additional um, spaces inconsistent with the lease, then you might have sort of a retrospective problem there. Um, because again, the Stark Law and the anti-kickback statute uh, require that the arrangement be set forth in advance and in writing. So that would be a, a concern there. And so how, how, what, what other ways can, can, can the arrangement change? Is, is the... Um, is the uh, are the services that are being provided to the site, um, whether it be a payment for utilities or any other type of cleaning, janitorial services, uh, plumbing, et cetera, are those being paid and or managed consistently with how the lease uh, stated that they should be? It's, it's a, very possible that that, that could evolve. Um, again, as you mentioned, as personnel changes, there might just be a, a more uh, an easier way to handle these things. But again, if it's not tied to how the lease is, uh, dictates that it should be, then, then there is risk there. So th that's what really jumps out to, to me, uh, Corin. Those are some, some great pointers there. What about you, Don? How do you all uh, you know, uh, ensure operational compliance once the arrangements are entered into? Yeah, and I think what, what uh, Raul was just talking about in terms of doing periodic walkthroughs or making sure that the space is being used consistent with the terms of the lease, right? Uh, for many health systems, Trinity included, right? That's something that we've really put on hold the last couple of years because of COVID. Um, and so we're just now starting to pick that back up again, um, you know, and, and Right, sort of the anxious part of me wonders what we may find um, kind of coming in after two, two years and going through a pandemic as we do that. But I see this as an important area uh, for compliance, right, to be able to provide a checklist or guidance. Um, and if the compliance professional is not the one doing the walkthrough, and again, in Trinity's case, we would rely actually on our real estate colleagues to do that. Um, right, are we equipping them with some, you know, ready guidance for what they should be looking for? And, you know, are we circling back from a, a compliance office perspective and, and sort of checking through those and saying, okay, was this completed correctly or making sure that we're available to support if there um, are questions? But, um, you know, again, we've got to pick it back up. Um, we know that it's it's been something that we've intentionally um, put on hold, but it's a really important part, I think, of managing compliance with respect to leases. Um, on the payment side for us, you know, that's a little bit more paper, computer focused, if you will. So, so we do perform uh, periodic audits of, uh, you know, whether the, the rents that we've received reconcile to the terms of the lease, or if we've had, you know, some sort of increase that should be applied, that the increase was applied, or if there's a penalty that needs to be applied, that was applied. 
that's a little easier to do um, again without having to, to step into a location. But I, I think it's important too to make sure that there are um, those periodic walkthroughs and you know, to the extent that operational constraint becomes an issue. And again, that's also something we are challenged with. Um, again, I know many health systems have seen a reduction in force over the past couple of years. And so a lot of individuals are being asked to do more. Uh, and right, it could very naturally be right, oh, the walkthrough, right? That's just something we're not going to get to this month. Um, you know, Trinity is exploring how could we maybe use some outside help um, to support us and actually would it be more cost effective, um, you know, if we brought in some outside assistance to do that work. So it's definitely something that's on our radar in terms of exploring and seeing what the appropriate model will be for us going forward as we come out of COVID. Sure. And, and Donnie, if you if you, you know, find something during the, those audits, I mean, I, I think it's pretty much impossible not to. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know, I don't think there's a single health system in the U.S. where if you you know, audited all their real estate arrangements that it, you know, they will be, you know, hundred percent, everything will be hundred percent, you know, in line. And then, so it's, so it's normal to, to see, you know, some, some things kind of fall through the cracks. Um, do you have any kind of best practice recommendations that if you all come across something like, how, you know, how do you go about addressing that issue? Like just kind of a, maybe a, a step-by-step process in terms of who gets involved and, and so on. Yeah, I think as soon as something is recognized as even potentially being an issue, our process at Trinity is for our um, integrity and compliance team, or if it's internal audit, um, which is doing the audit, right, to loop in our regulatory counsel, because we want to start having discussions with someone who is skilled and expert in the Stark and anti-kickback rules, um, right, and then it's a collaborative effort um, along with the real estate, again, team to determine, right, are, is there uh, a, an exception that we can fit this under or what sort of remedial steps do we need to take in order to bring this lease back into compliance? Um, so we do rely heavily um, on our internal uh, legal team to support us when that happens. And we're, you know, again, we're, we're grateful for uh, their sometimes creative and strategic thinking in order to, to get an arrangement back into, into compliance. Um, you know, but I will say Trinity, um, has a very strong compliance culture. And so to the extent that, right, we couldn't fit something um, under a, an exception or a safe harbor, or, or if we can't bring the lease back into compliance, right, we would take the next steps um, from a compliance office perspective and, um, you know, prepare if it's a, a self-disclosure or some other communication that we need to have with a, a regulatory authority um, to say, hey, here's, here's the issue that we have and here's what we're doing um, to fix it. Yeah, I think what's been helpful too with the recent changes to the Stark Law and you know and, and the clarifications that have been provided is is there's just uh, you know from an operational compliance perspective, I mean I think there's been some really helpful you know changes from uh, from CMS kind of giving giving providers the opportunity to, to to fix those issues you know if they find them during the you know ongoing administration of the lease and if not arising to a reportable event, so I think it kind of encourages providers to keep doing exactly what. You and, Ra- and Raul have been saying, which is, you know, monitoring the, you know, the, the arrangements, you know, conducting audits, and 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 if you sh- issues come up, you know, being able to fix those without there actually being any regulatory infractions. And so, so I think some of those changes have been helpful. I couldn't agree more. Um, again, particular 
particularly since some of the requirements are so very technical, um, right. right? And just a, you know, a small mistake or in the execution or in the operation of, of a lease could potentially result in a, in a big regulatory problem. Um, those additional flexibilities that have come out in the past couple of years have been very helpful to us in terms of resolving issues that have come up. Sure. Raul, how would you, how do you measure success, uh, you know, in, in, in real estate and real estate compliance and in your job? Like, how, how do you, how do you measure success? I, I think uh, one place to start is to just uh, try to measure how many, how many leases have you been able to account for? Uh, how involved were you in the, in the process uh, from the beginning versus how many leases are you finding out about after the facts? Um, which, which is okay too, because you want to you wanna find out about it eventually. But uh, one way to track, I think, success would be to look at uh, what is going through the process that you have built and what are you still finding out about afterwards that went outside the process, which might indicate that there might need to be a bit more training and education uh, for, for the workforce, uh, et cetera. So, so that might just be a, a good way to, to track that. Sure. And Don, what about yourself? How do you, how do you measure success? Yeah, I think absolutely those metrics that Raul mentioned are, are so important. Um, but for us, so is uh, understanding sort of the satisfaction, if you will, um, with our, our real estate colleagues and if they feel that they're getting the proper support from our compliance office and compliance team. So, you know, right right now that's sort of measured on an ad hoc basis. Uh, and hey, how are things going? Um, and again, uh, centered in our, our leadership um, but it's an area that, that is probably worth exploring in, in terms of a more structured uh, feedback loop there. Uh, but just given our reliance on our local real estate professionals and hospital leadership teams, I think that'd be an important component for us in terms of assessing if we're successful or not in our program and our program operations. Sure. Well, this has been terrific. I, I really appreciate your all's insights, you know, and um, do you all have any kind of last words of wisdom, advice, you know, for, for our listeners, be it, you know, real estate colleagues, legal counsel, other compliance professionals as it relates to real estate? You know, I, I would I would only recommend that I think that the sooner you can be involved, uh, the better, the the, the the um, sort of more collaborative your process can be with all these other stakeholders, whether it be a real estate as well as legal counsel, as well as maybe internal audit as well. Uh, the more collaborative that process is and the more the clearer the guidelines are around who's doing what, I think you, you have a, a greater opportunity to ensure success. Um, so that, that would be uh, really mine, as well as just trying to uh, sort of keep uh, certain pitfalls that you want to be aware of, both in the review of the lease itself, as well as on the on the back end when it comes to uh, the the auditing and monitoring. Just making sure that you're focusing on the areas that um, would would understandably cause an organization to to slip up. So if you can pin those down and know what to look for, uh, both on the front end and on the back end, I think uh, you're going to be able to ensure uh, success. Don. Yeah, you know, in addition to that, I would recommend, as I mentioned, because we rely so heavily on training and education, uh, really taking a focus on that and making sure that the training is relevant. Um, again, I think it's more important for 
our real estate colleagues to have an understanding of specific scenarios that they should be watching out for. Um, and there's plenty of examples that, that one could use with respect to enforcement that's happened or issues that as a compliance leader you've seen come up before. Um, right, it's more important for them to recognize those situations and know that they can call compliance or legal to get support, as opposed to having them recite the definition of stark and anti-kickback. So, um, you know, that's just been for us as well a, a focus on how do we make that training relevant um, and in, important uh, to to our professionals, and how do we let that team know, um, right, that we are here to support them. And I, I'm sure Raul has the same sort of messaging that he needs to provide, right? We're not here to say no and be the stopgap, right? We really want to support the strategic goals that um, our leadership has with respect to real estate. It is such an important component, I think, of uh, healthcare and how health systems run. So, you know, the more opportunity that we have to engage and connect into our rules point, you know, hopefully earlier on in the process as opposed to later, uh, to be able to demonstrate our value and how we can support um, and and allow our leaders to achieve those um, strategic aims, but in a compliant way, I, I think just benefits us overall. Sure. Well, I want to thank both of you uh, for taking the time today. Uh, I know I learned a lot. Uh, really appreciate your uh, expertise and your willingness to share it uh, with our listeners. Uh, Thank you both again. Thank you, Goran. Thank you, Goran. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.